IPC, great to be with you again. Our sermon series is on the fruit of the Spirit, and today we find ourselves smack in the middle of the book of Acts, chapter 11, verses 19 to 30. Let me just remind you that in this section of the book of Acts, starting with chapter 7, we have the testimony of Stephen, and then Stephen is stoned to death by people who feel attacked by his preaching of the good news about Jesus. The church in chapter 8 is scattered scattered from Jerusalem, and a uh, persecution begins there. Disciples of Jesus spread throughout the region. In chapter 9, the apostle Paul, rather Saul, is brought to faith in Christ. Chapter 10, Peter sees a vision and Um, realizes that the gospel is meant for Gentiles and not just Jews. And then in chapter 11, we hear of the spread of the gospel into a particular city, Antioch, as a result, both of this persecution and of this desire to now bring the good news to the Gentiles. I know that's a big, long-winded introduction, but this will help us as we read our passage of the day. Okay, Acts 11, starting with verse 19, says, Now those who had been scattered by the persecution that broke out when Stephen was killed traveled as far as Phoenicia, Cyprus, and Antioch, spreading the word only among Jews. Some of them, however, men from Cyprus and Cyrene, went to Antioch and began to speak to Greeks there, or uh, Greek-speaking people from the region, non-Jews. Uh, telling them the good news about the Lord Jesus. The Lord's hand was with them, and a great number of people believed and turned to the Lord. Verse 22, news of this reached the church in Jerusalem, and they sent Barnabas to Antioch. When he arrived and saw that the grace of God, what the grace of God had done, he was glad and encouraged them to remain faithful to the Lord with all their hearts. He was a good man, Again, the fruit of the Spirit is goodness. He was a good man, full of the Holy Spirit and faith, and a great number of people were brought to the Lord. Then Barnabas went to Tarsus to look for Saul, the Apostle Paul, and when he found him, he brought him to Antioch. So for a whole year, Barnabas and Saul met with the church and taught great numbers of people. The disciples were first called Christians at Antioch. During this time, some prophets came down from Jerusalem to Antioch, and one of them named Agabus stood up and through the Spirit predicted that a severe famine would spread over the entire Roman world. This happened during the reign of Claudius. The disciples, as each one was able, the people in Antioch, decided to provide help for the brothers and sisters living in Judea, the area surrounding Jerusalem. This they did, sending their gift to the elders by Barnabas and Saul. And this is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Okay, goodness. What's the deal with the fruit of the spirit of goodness? And what do we get, it at, what do we get about it from this passage in Acts? Take a slight detour from my typical plan, which is to tell you what 
secular fake goodness might be like and what religious fake goodness might be like and then tell you what the real thing looks like. And let me just cut right to the chase and say that both secular people and religious people, and if we're honest, every single one of us as well, we're all tempted to try to bear the fake fruit of goodness. In other words, as I was telling the children, we try to be do-gooders. At least in English, or in America anyway, we have this kind of way of, if we, don't, we think somebody's been inauthentic, we call them a do-gooder. They're always running around doing stuff, and they kind of just want to be seen. They're do-gooders. But in contrast, the spirit of Jesus Christ has come to make us good doers. Not do-gooders, but genuine good doers. A do-gooder wants to be seen, and they want to be seen as being better than they really are. And they want to be praised for being the good person that they seem to be. A do-gooder is really ultimately concerned with themselves. On the contrast, a good doer wants to be good by actually doing good. And whether anyone sees it or not is kind of beside the point. A good doer is not concerned so much with themselves, but with their neighbor. And here we have, as I read, the story of Barnabas. If we want to bear the genuine fruit of goodness, to become good doers and not just do-gooders, then we all actually need to be a little bit more like Barnabas as we grow up. So let's just tell the story again, and we'll see how the Spirit's fruit of goodness is evident in this story about Barnabas along the way. So like I said before, a few chapters ago, Stephen was preaching about Jesus in Jerusalem. The religious people of Jerusalem could not bear his testimony because it kind of called their do-gooderism into question. He testified to Jesus, the one who was a good doer, who did the good that these people only pretended to do. And they hated Stephen, therefore, for his testimony about Jesus. And they stoned him to death, the first martyr of the church. And after his death, they launched a continued wave of violence, verse 19 tells us, around Jerusalem and against these Jesus followers like Stephen. And many of the Christians, therefore, fled to nearby cities for safety, but pretty much the apostles and a small group of disciples stayed in Jerusalem. But even though they stayed and even though they fled, None of them stopped sharing the good news that Jesus had come, just like God promised, and they did it everywhere that they went. And the most natural thing, of course, is for these Jewish apostles and disciples to share the good news about Jesus, the Jewish Messiah, with, guess who? Other Jews. It's just natural. But some, verse 20, also preached to non-Jewish people, to Gentiles in Antioch. And to everyone's surprise except for gods, of course, some of these Greek-speaking non-Jews received this resurrected Jewish Messiah as their Lord and their Savior, and they committed their lives to following him. Now, the apostles are leading the whole Christian movement from Jerusalem, and they hear about all this going on in Antioch, and immediately they're concerned. Now, the thing with do-gooders is that they seem nice and they seem pleasant right up to the point where their control is threatened, right? But not these actual good doers who are bearing the Spirit's fruit of goodness. 
they don't act this way. The apostles, their lives have been changed. Sure, they were fearful before the resurrection, but now Jesus has been raised and they're full of the grace of Jesus. And they care now about loving their neighbor with the very love with which Christ loved them in word and in deed. And so what happens? Well, the leaders in Jerusalem, they think, okay, well, we need to pick somebody and send them to Antioch, verse 22, where these Greeks have started to follow Jesus. Not to control them, but to hear and to see what has happened. And if it's the real thing, then to just serve them. Do-gooders show up to look good and to keep control. But good-doers show up to discern how the Spirit of God is at work and to serve alongside the Spirit of God. Why? So that their neighbors might be blessed by their service. Back when I was a college student, I worked in the summers, if you can believe this, on a construction team. And my boss would endlessly tease me because I was not good with any tools or with my hands at all. I was strong, but I wasn't very graceful with a tool in my hand. Whenever he would give me an assignment and a tool to do it, I would go and I would do it and I would not be able to do it right. And I would come back to my boss and say, I just can't do it right. And he would say, well, I sent a boy to do a man's job. And for some reason, I thought that this was such a brilliant insult that I didn't even think to be insulted by it. They sent a boy to do a man's job, and I kind of agreed with them. Now, Jerusalem, when it needs to send somebody to Antioch, they don't send a boy to do a man's job. A boy would have gone from Jerusalem to Antioch with a sense of self-importance and arrogance I'm the ambassador of the central church of, of Jesus in Jerusalem, in the Holy Land, so you better listen to me. A boy would have shown up in Antioch skeptical of the Greeks. Why? Because they're not Jews. A boy would have shown up in Antioch skeptical of the Christians there because they weren't from Jerusalem, skeptical of these Christians there because they hadn't experienced the persecution that the Christians in Jerusalem had. But Barnabas is no boy. He's a man, a good man, verse 24, full of the Spirit of God and full of genuine faith. And so he shows up in Antioch. And verse 23, he's sensitive to what the Spirit of God is up to there. He sees what God's grace has done in the hearts and lives of the women and men as Jesus has taken up residence among them by his Spirit. And then he does the most Barnabas thing of all. He encourages the church there. Why do I say that? Well, because Barnabas's name seems to mean literally son of encouragement. It's a nickname that he's been given, most likely. And when you're full of the spirit and of faith like Barnabas, the son of encouragement, well, you've experienced the grace of God in Jesus in your own life for yourself. And your life has been changed by the living God the life of God in your own heart, well, now you want to do nothing else but see the life of God inside the hearts of other men and women as well. You want to become an encouragement. And that was Barnabas's concern as he went to Antioch. Not his position, not control, not even his own dignity, but the hope to see his Greek neighbors now grow to bear the Spirit's fruit as they experience more of Christ themselves.
And then verse 24, Barnabas' encouraging presence there in Antioch among these new Christians, it says it resulted in a great number of other Greeks whose hearts the Spirit filled with Jesus and Jesus' presence. So things are going really well here for Barnabas. The apostles in Jerusalem, man, they would be impressed with him. He's going to be promoted. Heck, he might become the bishop of Antioch, right? And everybody would have to kiss his ring or something. The church there could be modeled after his personality and his plans and his vision. He's really going to be somebody, right? But again, that's not who Barnabas is. And so what happens instead? Well, he sees what the Lord is doing, even through his own ministry in Antioch. He encourages the people. He encourages them such that even new people get drawn in to the faith in Christ. But then at some point, Barnabas realizes that for these new Greek followers of Jesus to really keep growing and really bear fruit, they actually need another pastor, a different pastor, a pastor who's got an el primo intellect and maturity and experience that goes beyond what Barnabas knows that he has. And so he says to the church in Antioch, hey, this has been awesome, but give me a couple weeks. I need to go and I need to find you a real pastor. And so he heads off verse 25 to find Saul, who we know is Paul. He brings Saul on back to Antioch. I don't know what he does to convince him to come, but Paul leaves his city, comes to Antioch. And then now they devote themselves together to this congregation for a whole year. And now the little church of of Antioch has the best theological teacher in the whole world and probably the most encouraging pastor in the whole world. And this is all because of Barnabas's pride and dignity and self-respect and ambition. No, it's because of his goodness. He's focused on their well-being and their growth. And they grow. And then something remarkable happens, verse 27. People start making fun of them and calling them Christians. Christ means Messiah, anointed one. So they call them little messianists, Christians, little messiahs running around following their Messiah. And it's an insult, of course. It's like calling people do-gooders and religious fanatics at the same time. But after a while, though, the believers there say to themselves, you know what? That's fine. We'll be Christians. We'll be known as Christians. We'll try to be little Christs wherever we go. Fine with us. We'll be little miniature replicas of the real thing, of the life of the one who was anointed not to condemn, but to serve and to bless. That's fine. You can call us that. That works really nicely, actually. Because their neighbors saw their good deeds and their sincere faith, but because their neighbors were kind of embarrassed by the genuineness and the zeal of their lives, because of all that, now you and I are called Christians all these years later. Because of Barnabas, this good man who was their pastor, you and I are called Christians today. And that fruit of goodness continues to grow in that community when these new disciples Moved by God's spirit once again, verse 29, when they give up their own hard-earned cash and they send it down to Jerusalem to help the church there so that they could survive a famine in the area. And they sent 
Barnabas and Paul to deliver that gift. Think about that for a minute. Let's say you're Peter and James and John, just a bunch of Jewish boys. You've been hanging out with your Jewish rabbi, Jesus, for a couple years. He dies. He's raised to life. He ascends up into heaven. Now you're Peter and James and John hanging out in Jerusalem. You're in charge of the Christian movement. Your community's been the victims of targeted violence. Your community has become mostly refugees fleeing to other cities. And a year or so after they scatter, just when a famine begins, well, wouldn't you know it, here comes Barnabas once again. The guy that you sent because of his reputation of being a good man to check out these new Greek converts. And then with him, you're like, wait a second, who is that? That's Saul. That's the guy who was standing right there by the people who were stoning Stephen and holding their coats and supporting them, maybe even chanting and encouraging them to kill Stephen. And he's been radically changed by the grace of Jesus. And now this son of encouragement and this former persecutor turned apostle to the Gentiles are marching on back to your home base. And they've got a gift for the Jesus-loving followers of Jesus in Jerusalem. And they've got stories to tell of all that the Spirit of God has done. Now, if you're Peter, James, and John, you might say, my goodness, who could have ever seen this coming? And then you quickly realize, this is the goodness of God. This is the goodness of Jesus, the goodness of God, the Spirit, bearing a bountiful harvest of the fruit of goodness in all of these people's lives. And you'd think to yourself, not only is Jesus alive, not only is Jesus ascended to the throne, but he's alive now by the Spirit in the lives of women and men all over the world, Jew and Gentile, whether we have plenty to eat or not much at all, whether we're safe or persecuted, Jesus is alive in all of these men and women by the power of the Spirit, and out is coming an abundance, a harvest of the fruit of goodness. When goodness gets into you, friends, by the Spirit, will you move? You move from mere kindness, which we talked about last week. Jerry Bridges calls kindness a sincere desire for the happiness of others. You move from that internal to something external, goodness, the activity, Bridges says, calculated to advance that goodness that you desire for others. You want to move from kindness to goodness. Your heart is soft, kindness, and now your feet are moving toward your neighbor in love, goodness. Your goodness, friends, does not have to be heroic like it seems Barnabas's was. In fact, the New Testament teaches that the heroic goodness of Paul and Barnabas and some of the others is really just a big public version of what every Christian filled with the Spirit does on a small scale in all of the everyday occurrences of their lives day after day. Think about widows living in Timothy's church. First Timothy 5, Paul says, hey, support these widows financially if they are all well-known for their good deeds, normal, everyday good deeds of caring for God's people and for their neighbors. Many of us are going to practice most of our goodness 
before we even leave our homes or certainly before we leave our workplaces or communities. Paul says that we shouldn't grow weary, Galatians 6, 9, we shouldn't grow weary in doing good, even in our own household, 1 Timothy 5. The great thing about goodness is that it doesn't require heroism. It doesn't require a theology degree. It doesn't require the ability to speak in tongues of angels. All it requires to become a good person, to bear the fruit of goodness, is a readiness to recognize that whether my family or my church or my neighbor needs a time-consuming word of grace and truth or maybe a money-consuming deed of love and mercy, that in fact the Spirit of God has put me in these people's lives in order to extend the goodness of Jesus to them on Jesus' behalf. That's all it requires. A requirement, we might say it like this, Ephesians 2.10, it requires a readiness to walk in the path of the good deeds that God has prepared for us before he even made the world. All we need to do is to put one foot in front of the other as we walk that path of goodness and to not grow weary as we walk down it, even when it costs us. And as that path of the good deeds prepared for us leads us through our family lives and our circles of friends and our spiritual family in the church, through our workplaces, through our surrounding community, even to our Antiochs and our Myanmar's and Thailand's, the fruit of goodness is born when we are simply full of the spirit and faith like Barnabas, ready to bless, ready to serve other people. Wouldn't it be awesome if we, as a church, were known once again as Christians? Now you might say, well, of course we're already known as Christians. But wouldn't it be great if we were sometimes made fun of for being a little fanatical, a little odd, a little funny, a little zealous in our surrounding community? Wouldn't it be great if People thought that we were a little too, I don't know, Christian. And wouldn't it be great if these same people that thought we were a little weird nevertheless saw that we were so full of the fruit of goodness toward one another and toward our neighbors surrounding us that we could be called weird, but we could never honestly be called mere do-gooders because the fruit was genuine and the goodness was genuine. The only hope that we have for bearing this kind of fruit and becoming these kinds of people and this kind of church is, of course, for us to go straight to the source, to the spirit of Jesus Christ. Jesus is Savior, like we said last week and every week, but he's also known, Peter says in Acts 10, as a man who went around doing good, healing people because God was with him. The heroic work of salvation that Jesus does that saves us from our sins in his cross and in his resurrection, that saves us from the wages of our sins. This work, heroic as it is, is done by a man, Jesus, whose very normal pattern of life was, Peter says, going around doing good. For God so loved the world that he sent Jesus, and Jesus is the face of God's goodness. And he was good to people when no one was looking, and when no one was going to write down what he did in the Bible later. And he was also good to all kinds of unexpected people, and even 
to Gentiles. And he's good every day, isn't he? To us, even us Gentiles. And the heroic salvation that Jesus accomplished by pure grace that was empowered by the Spirit, that heroic work is really just the most public and the most magnificent instance of God's goodness in Jesus that was displayed at every moment and every day in the smallest acts of goodness to all of us. And this Jesus, friends, whose spirit of goodness we're called to bear, he saves you and me, and he saves the world itself. And why? Well, precisely so that you and I and we together can go on and on and on through time and then on to eternity, bearing the fruit of goodness for one another's sake until the whole creation is full of his glory, a glory that's revealed in these simple acts of the fruit of goodness forever and ever and ever. And when we're full of the fruit of goodness for all eternity, we'll still never stop saying, how good is God's love towards us in Jesus, the one who really bears the fruit of goodness. Father, we pray that you would help us to bear the Spirit's fruit of goodness in the days ahead, individually, in our families, among friends, in our community, in our workplaces, everywhere we go, so that people might see more of the goodness of Jesus. Change us from within and make us fruit bearers in this way. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.